Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the primal fall, from the dawn of giant still birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, man was the lord of the earth. Well, my friends, welcome to Agitators Anonymous, the Tuesday edition. The Tuesday edition is what I theorized would be all about music. Um, you know, a little bit more light-hearted. Leave the weekend, the weekend, Friday, Friday's episode for maybe a little bit more politics, a bit more culture, a bit more grumpiness, a bit more agitation. Well, anyway, as you probably have noticed, there's an up and down rhythm to it because of the tour in the middle, which sort of. Um, broke my rhythm of trying to do it twice a week and also just various other life things get in the way but here we are on Tuesday and today basically what I'm posting or what I am presenting to your good selves to listen to is uh, what originally appeared on my YouTube channel uh, and a series called Call from the Grave which I really should get back into and that's the sort of visual dissection of a band's career some old metal band I did Coroner, Dark Angel, Merciful Fate etc etc I really should start doing them again but you know how it goes okay well this is the audio of the um, I suppose my guide to Bathory Bathory was the biggest influence on Primordial um, then and probably still now. So without them, Primordial would probably not exist the same way. I think we would all say that rather clearly and rather loudly. So Tuesday's episode, let's call it the um, not the bonus episode, but Tuesday's Agitators Anonymous this week. Let's begin things off with a discussion of all things Bathory. The audio, of course, is slightly different to normal, but them's the breaks. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash alanaveril for as little as a dollar a month, whatever that means. I don't really understand the tiers or how it works, but you can support the show over there. Um, you can go to my YouTube channel, just search Alan Averill, and there's various other random things there, along with the podcast and some other videos here and there, and my best of intentions at posting more stuff. And you can follow me on the gram at nemtianga underscore primordial. All right, have at it. Let's do it. Bathory. Okay, Bathory, <clears throat> let's do it, Call from the Grave, part two. 
It's been a month since my last heavy metal confession. I probably should have done or could have done some in between, but you know, all the days are melding into one now, so let's do it. Bathory, Call from the Grave Part 2. Without a doubt, Bathory is the most important band in my teenage development. Um, certainly the band that showed a whole generation of musicians. You could write epic music, you could write about your culture, especially the later 80s Bathory, Bloodfire Death and Hammerheart, but we'll get to that. <clears throat> um, these huge, big, long songs, these sort of tectonic, tectonic shape, you know, plate-shifting songs. Um, but doing a Bathory call from the grave is sort of like a no-brainer. Um, I've been writing this probably in my head for the last 30 years. There's probably teenage notebooks you can find with a million logo sketches. Is that Bat Lord, Mister? Or, you know, um, <clears throat> redrawings of the goat on the cover, all those kind of things. I seem to remember having a, a black denim vest with this on the back somewhere in 1980-something, um, which I cannot find anywhere, um, you know. But there you go. Okay, <clears throat> so here we go. Call from the Grave, episode two. So let's have a look at this. Um, I would say that Quarthon made almost all of the music that's worth a dime um, in the 1980s, almost. Most of it, in a very short period of time. Um, and... Very few careers in metal veer so wildly from album to album, um, and from absolute peaks to, to be honest, dreadful, um, dreadful lows. And I'll get to them in a heartbeat. Trying, trying to unravel all the mysteries of Bathory um, and Quarthon is more or less almost impossible because here was a man who never went on tour. Um, <clears throat> as you'll see in a moment, I used to collect um, cuttings from magazines back in the day and put them in my records, which now 30 years later or 30 odd years later are really cool to look at. But he contradicts himself almost from one year to the next. Um, you know, maybe I'll put the scans of the interviews up or something like this. But trying to unravel the mysteries is um, <clears throat> really, really difficult. The potted history that's in the liner notes of Blood on Ice doesn't seem to compute when you look at some of the 1980s, um, some of the 1980s interviews. Um, so I'm going to try and focus on the music and not pretend to be impartial or non-partisan. Bathory changed my world, as I said, and there's no denying it. And I owe it to my teenage self to try and do this call from the grave number two some justice. And I got my best hood on. So let's do it. <clears throat> Scandinavian metal attack is where it starts. Um, this is the wrong one. I had the other one as well, but I can't find it, so if you've borrowed it off me or stolen it from me, please return it. Um, this one has Hades and War on it, but the very first one has Return of Darkness and Evil and Sacrifice, and they're two different versions than the, the album version. It sounds much more like, actually sounds much more like a band playing. It's not as fast and ferocious, oddly enough, as the first album, but that's kind of where the whole journey starts. And back then, people sort of had this... Under, this um, Maybe, I suppose, opinion that an awful lot of the early 80s metal bands toured relentlessly, toured themselves into becoming what they were. But in Sweden, it seems like many of the bands were playing in youth halls, Candlemas, their nemesis, that kind of thing. Bathory Bush was, didn't play live. Nobody really knew what was going on. He seems to have been a bit of a loner, although I would say an awful lot of that is um, a sort of creating your own myths, your own mythology around yourself. 
Um, so the Scandinavian metal tag, if you can track it down, or if you've stolen mine, please return it. Um, those two songs are, uh, there's more Motorhead in them, there's more rock and roll than the ferocious versions that appear on this. Um, I don't need to give that a mark, Scandinavian metal attack, really. <clears throat> but here we are. Bathory, Bathory, 1984. Um, this is the original Under One Flag version. Um, it's not the Yellow Goat, which I must admit I've never seen in real life. Um, I very nearly did buy it off someone in 1998 for what was then the huge sum of 200 pounds sterling, um, and then the deal the deal fell through. But <clears throat> apparently recorded and mixed in 16 hours. Um, no toms, no tom rolls. Apparently the drummer forgot the tom arms. I mean, again, all these things that I'm going to say are anecdotal. Um, I suppose things that I've heard down the years, I remember from interviews that people who were around in the 80s told me at the time. So, you know, uh, fact-checking them is almost impossible, and I think a fool's errand. So you'll just have to roll with them, whether you actually believe my opinion or not. <clears throat> but you'll notice there's no tom rolls. It's just snare, 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 floor tom, floor tom, floor tom, snare, snare, snare. Now... Is this the guy who made this awful black metal movie, I think, who played the drums on this? Jonas Ackerland? I don't know. But um, it's a fierce, ferocious record. The tone is fucking ripping. And it's clear that Corthon was a guitar player beyond his years. Even, I guess, he was 18, 17, 18 is this, because it's quite accomplished guitar playing. I mean, he said at the time he never heard Venom, but it's obviously rubbish because most of the song titles are taken from black metal. Um, <clears throat> such a contrarian, always. It's not punk. It's speed metal. It's satanic speed metal. I'll let that be an end to it. Um, you know, I mean, look at the back cover. It says everything you need to know. Apart from the fact that the two C spelling mistakes... Um, Armageddon, In Conspiracy with Satan, Raise the Dead, War. I mean, their song titles ripped straight off black metal. Sacrifice, Raise the Dead for a start. <clears throat> in Conspiracy with Satan, In League with Satan, all that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's pointless me giving any of the first records full marks or any marks out of 10 like I did for Cal Corner because I'd give them all full marks. Um, this is where it began. Um, it's an absolute speed metal masterpiece. Let's put it down there. <clears throat> the Return. The Return is a fucking nasty, nasty, nasty record. This is um, way, way, way more evil, way darker. This is the original Under One Flag version. Um, I think in the US it was licensed in New Renaissance Records, and I have a feeling they changed the track listing around a tiny bit. But you can see the original has um, all the kind of cool... Lyric sheet info, the Osculum infam. <clears throat> you can order your Bathory shirt here, this kind of thing. Um, it's a well worn vinyl, but it was clear to me, even when I bought it back in the day, that this was a different beast to the first album. Um, you could hear the bass, bass end, it sounded like a proper drummer. It's certainly not a drum machine, I think, as some people would surmise, because it's out of time. So, unless you're like, you know, um, playing it with your fucking fingers. I don't really understand how that can work. Um, like sarcophago or something, allegedly. Um, no, it sounds like a band playing together. I mean, <clears throat> anecdotally, um, Leaf from Candlemas, um, sorry if I paraphrase you wrong, Leaf, told me some great stories about early Bathory that um, 
him and a friend or two used to row out to the island they used to rehearse on. Because a lot of Stockholm are a lot of inlets and there's many, many islands. And that his family, uh, as in Corton's family, had a, a small little cabin where they set up their rehearsal room. And that was as near as a gig to they ever got. Um, in 1984-85, they used to row out and drink cans and sit and watch Bathory rehearse pentagrams and the whole lot. Um, Leaf, it's your story to tell. I'm just paraphrasing from our Roadburn chats. But yeah, this is a fucking evil, evil record. It's still got some, you know, there's some stuff on it which points to glam rock, bestial lust especially, um, points to Corthon's big hair um, image, which became clear as the record started to sell. Bathory started to get a bit bigger, but it's a vicious body blow. Um, it's... <clears throat> A dark, evil record, and I suppose around the same time you've got Hello Waits and all that kind of thing coming out. So here is, I suppose, one could argue the greatest black metal album of all time, under the sign of the Black Mark, um, Swedish Bodybuilder, which they've kind of, um, I think, taped uh, a cutout of the first album, Goat, onto the set of a Wagnerian opera that was happening in Stockholm, um, some uh, Stockholm theatre. So the story goes. Um, this, oddly enough, is the New Renaissance version of the record. Um, Kieran from Primordial has my under one flag version if you'd return it. You can see the slightly different, um, you see the slightly different label. Um, and of course, back though in those days, the Americans used to put their records in plastic, which is strange, I guess, at the time, to get those records over here. Um... So that means it has a separate lyric sheet. Um, and you know, it's, it's such a funny record because um, you've got like, Enter the Eternal Fire is obviously the Bridge of Death by Man of War. Um, it's the same riff. Same lyrics across the bridge of sin, open up to let me in, etc. Of Doom is very obviously the Army of Immortals by Man of War. I mean, Hail to you under the sign of the Black Mark and of Doom. Um, it's the same lyrics as Army of Immortals. If you don't believe me and you don't like the idea that Bathory copied way more from Man of War than they did from Punk Rock, well, that's your fault and that's your problem, but that's the truth. Because the epic Bathory that's common owes such a huge debt to Man of War, it doesn't even begin to be explained. But what I used to do back then is when I used to start was um, cut the interviews out of magazines at the time and just place them in the records. So let's have a look and see what I've got for under the sign of the black mark. Um, this is from Kerrang! 1987 at the time. Let me just try and figure this out. Um, the famous photo shoot which was on top of a Stockholm um, hotel, fire breathing. Um, Vodka and ice, or what is it, blood and ice and vodka and orange? Blood and ice, hey, yeah. Uh, and then, if you didn't think Corthon was a bit of a glam rocker, well, look at this. What do you think about that, huh? Hmm. <laughs> of course. Um, so that was in my Under the Sign of the Black Mark, along with lots of other little images and things that I would, I would studiously cut out as a kid and put them in my vinyls so that once upon a time, well, obviously now, now is the reason, now is the winter of our discontent, um, that I used to put them in and have a look at them, you know, that kind of thing. So, 
it's a ferocious record. It's so fucking violent. I remember at the time buying it on cassette, which I don't have anymore either, nor, Kieran, give back my other copy of the other vinyl. Um, and playing it to friends at the time who liked Black Flag and Minor Threat and Massacre, they just couldn't believe that a band was that extreme and that fast and that fucking violent. And um, instantly, Bathory appealed to me much more than the Testaments, the Nuclear Assaults, the the thrash, the the, the kind of go-to everyman thrash kind of stuff. As, as, not, as much as I like those bands, the mystery that surrounded Bathory was um, what compelled me to just hold them as the my nearest and dearest band of the 1980s. Um, note, of, um, note of personal, uh, whatever you want to call it, disgust, is the fact that the CD of the first album has the goat from the back of Under the Sign. Not the same goat. That really irritated me when I was a kid, and I just thought that I would like to mention it now. Put the original goat on the original CD. Anyway. Under the Sign of Black Mark, arguably the greatest black metal of all time. Um, I would hear probably no argument against that, probably. Um, ferociously violent. It's um, it's so fucking extreme. And again, people say, is it a drum machine? Is it not? I mean, listen to the Tom Roll in the start of Woman of Dark Desires. It's off. How do you make that into a drum machine? I don't know. Or unless it's a pads and you've added real cymbals, which is possible. I don't know. And I don't know who plays the drums on it either. There you go. <clears throat> Under the Sun Black Mark. Of course, Full Marks. This was the influence on so much 90s grim black metal. Um, and again, way ahead of the, any sort of curve at the time. Bloodfire Death, 1988. Right, let's have a look at this. 1988 was probably one of the most important years for me as a metal fan, it's where I started to write to bands, started to get into tape trading, started to, um, it's South of Heaven, it's Injustice for All, it's Malus Mlificarum, it's Leprosy, it's, uh, but especially, it's Blood Fire Death. And if you were used to going to a record shop back in the day, and you would have walked in and seen this on the wall, it just stood in opposition to almost every other cover that there was. Um, it just um, <clears throat> was so appealing to my, you know, it just had an air of mystery around it that nothing else at the time had. The picture, of course, in the middle, the first time you see um, a band, the first time you ever see um, any mention of their names, Vornth and Kothar. Um, this is the Brazilian version of the record. This is the original 1988 Under One Flag version, um, which should have somewhere in it a lyric sheet, I guess. Um, should have somewhere in there anyway there's a lyric sheet that goes in it somewhere maybe it's in the other record I should have really looked for that before I started doing this shouldn't I that would have been the clever thing to do oh yes what the fuck anyway yes <clears throat> there's a lyric sheet um, this is the record that changed everything for me um, this is the one where the press began to take Bathory really much more seriously. Um, first time we saw a band, um, and this was in direct opposition to most of the thrash metal that was going around at the time. And it's my favourite record. It's the one which marries the old black metal feel and the huge, epic, blood fire death style. Um, big 10 minute long songs. And it was one of the first records that showed, at least me, you could sing about culture and heritage and history and folklore on some level, mix it in with some sort of um, defiant sort of pagan metal 
attitude, maybe, because it's that's what some of it is for all those who died. Diaz Array is fucking vicious black metal. Again, Heavenshore Studio Stockholm, this is where him and the boss, his dad recorded. It's just, um, it's a dark, dark record. Um, and this was the first time I ever wrote to Bathory. Um, this is the letter that I got back in the post. We'd, back in the day when you would put your IRC in, I even wrote a little logo on it, trying to make, get it noticed. Um, you can see my um, my stamp was cut out and returned to me. Um, and I never got a letter, sadly, but this was sent back to me in the letter I got. All I got was a official merchandise thing with a note which says, Hammerheart out soon. That's all it says. Um, and I think the idea of sending off... I should have sent off one of those shirts, really, shouldn't I? Oh, well, anyway, I do have one. I'll show you that in a minute. But that's the... Um, and at the time, there was a very interesting interview, which was in Metal Forces magazine, um, which I cut out dutifully. Um, and you can see here... And in this interview, it's very interesting, Corthon um, mentions, it's a big, long interview, and it's all about culture and Norse mythology. You can tell he's starting to change, um, but he mentions an album called, um, I mean, he's talking about songs after Blood for Death, and he mentions here, I can see, Blood on Ice, Valhalla, Bond of Blood, Marching Off to War, Burning Leather, Nine Legs of Fire, Crawl to the Cross and three others. And he says the basic tracks have been written for the next album, um, and it was supposed to be called Fire Still Burning. He talks about songs called Descent to Hell. What's that? No, don't know. Um, I get the impression there is a huge wealth of Bathory stuff um, somewhere that's now lost, seeing as the boss, his dad, um, has died. This is Metal Forces, 19, episode 53, 1988. Um, I think it's the end of uh, 1988 poll year, end of year poll, which Operation Mindcrime won, if I'm not mistaken, uh, reader's poll. But yeah, so, a um, bit of love-hate there on the back. Blackout in the Red Room, I think it was called. Not a bad record. Um, yeah, again, his interviews are pedantic, um, quite clever for the time. He has something to say about all sorts of stuff. Quite, I am, takes, takes a lot of uh, stances against the press of the time. Lots of pokes and digs at other bands, never afraid to um, you know, never afraid to, to slag other bands, which got him into, you know, like, I think it's a year or two before this, he'd rehearsed uh, with Witch Hunter from Sodom, um, maybe in preparation for trying to play live, and then a Chernobyl happened, and Chris Witch Hunter went back to Germany, but he spent no time in slagging Celtic Frost, in slagging Sodom, etc. The mere mention of the word Bathory to um, Schmier and Tom will elicit um, a big uh, disapproving grunt usually a disapproving oh anyway yeah so that was blood fire death uh again what can i say um full marks i mean look you can't even argue again uh this is like the brazilian pressing comes in plastic which i think is a nice touch for keeping your records in good condition um where fuck are we yeah Blood for Death. That's the, the record that changed everything for me, the record that changed uh, all of this. It's the first time that um, I think the band must have been coming really, really big. And the pressure on them to play live was starting to get more and more intense. But he never buckled. He never 
uh, changed his mind. I have some radio interviews from 1990 at the time, and he's talking crazy stuff about, oh, when we return to Portugal, maybe we can play in a football stadium. And Really? You know, so, and nobody knew quite what to call the music as we moved into Hammerheart. I mean, here, Doom Power, the article calls it Power Metal. Hammerheart is Power Metal, it says. I, pff, hey, look, I don't know. Um, but Hammerheart is, I suppose, the album, this is 1990, that changed the face of everything. This one is signed. Um, I bought it in Shades Record Store in 1989. No, not 1989, 1990. Um, Quarthon apparently had been on a press trip to London. No, it must, be, it must be somewhere 1990, I think. I'd been to London twice in two summers. <clears throat> and they were just selling off stuff that he'd brought, such as um, there used to be a record or a t-shirt shop called HM Gear or something. And I went into the guy and said, hey, have you got any Bathory shirts? And he said, yeah, Corthon sold me these exact ones. So this is a Bathory Hordes shirt from 80, I don't know, I guess 87, 88, 89. Uh, the weird thing is that it has a hood, which is really fucking weird. And it has gray stitching weird sort of I've never seen anything like it. it used to have sleeves but they deteriorated the whole thing is a shredded mess um, which somebody you know accused me of uh, distressing um, you know, listen there was no such word as distressing in 1980s unless you're talking about the Irish economy um, that is a fucking ancient shirt that's why it looks distressed darlings um, yes Hammerheart. I mean, what can one say? I didn't really know what to make of it the first time I ever heard of it, or heard it. The opening, um, Shores and Flames, just the singing, the notes. I knew I loved it, but I didn't really know what to... I didn't know what to think of it um, um, at 15 or 16, 15, or whatever I was, uh, 29, 1872, whatever. Um, but this is the one that launched, a th uh, you know, like Helen of Troy or whatever. Um cover again is so fucking incredible um such an air of mystery about it Quartham was moving away from the satanic themes fully embracing the sort of nordic culture and um heritage and um as i said the uh let's say the um the loki weren't loki's horns borrowed from the devil anyway um he started to sing and everyone sorted to start a follow suit again years ahead of everybody the press at the time didn't know what to make of it i remember reading one interview two out of five pedestrian crossing no one really understood it despite the fact that they would give candle mask great reviews for playing doom or slow but no one really knew what to make of this again years ahead of everything was it a drum machine is it not i don't know certainly i did a toilet of the gods band with nick barker um and nick sort of felt that it was this is the one first one that has a drum machine on it although if you listen to the double pedal at the end of holocaust on blood fire death this is seems rather fast and also the but the tom roll at the start of um for all those who died you know sounds like drums to me ish who knows it, they could be, it could be a combination of uh, ba uh, drum and bass drum and snare, artificial and live toms. I don't know who, who will know. Maybe Chris Maycock, he's writing a book about Bathory. Um, but this is the record that changed everything. Um, and again, Lowell bands like Primordial and I presume Immortal and all those kind of stuff, Emperor. Everyone just kind of, this showed that you could be right, serious, long, atmospheric songs and not worry about the middle eight and the chorus and reaching the conclusion of four minutes as if you didn't know it already from a fine day to die etc whatever um amazing absolutely amazing again full marks full marks 
Twilight of the Gods, then um, this is the original picture disc. Um, not sure where I bought it. Um, again, beautiful, beautiful artwork. So much, so much. These three, those three records, just such inc so incredibly evocative. Um, and Bathory was like some sort of strange, clandestine, secret club. Most thrashers and metal fans didn't like it, didn't get it. And the fact that you got it um, just felt, it felt so, just something very liberating. It felt like a very individual club to be part of. This is the original record here. Um, Black Mark, the record label founded by um, The Boss, Corton's dad, Edge of Sanity, Oz, Airdash and AORG in here. Um, rumor, I heard a rumor once that Edge of Sanity was supposed to be Corton's backing band for Vac in 2001 or something, but never rehearsed. Again, a rumor. Um, Twelve of the Gods is, um, it's just supreme and flawed genius. The drum, this is a drum machine. The production got tightened up, and it's really his sort of my masterwork, his meisterwork. Nothing was ever the same again. His playing is off the charts. The tones are massive. The singing, while never quite perfect, is pure expression of character. The end, the, the bond of blood, sister, for my return, sings, and all that kind of stuff. Really, he's doing so well. I, sorry, that sounds very patronizing. But the harmonies at the end are beautiful. The whole thing, bonded by bond of blood. What a song. Uh, all of it. Um... It still sounds to this day like nothing else that's ever been made. And this is epic metal. This is the definition of epic metal. This is what should be in the dictionary when you look it up. But things were never the same again. And this is the last album that gets full marks from me. Um, as a curious anecdote, when I did the Twilight of the Gods, a band, um, I remember we did um, To Enter Your Mountain, I think, and Runa, X Mayhem, um, Ornoir, etc., was just, you know, you know, ha hammering through the solo, and he just looked at me and he goes, that's not Quarthon playing that guitar. How could that be him? It's so dexterous compared to Hammerheart and compared to where he went. I don't know what to do with that information, but certainly it's his meisterwork. Maybe it just burnt him out, and after that he just went, you know what, now we lay it down simply. We just, um, we don't argue anymore, just straightforward. But it's an absolute masterpiece, um... There's nothing more can be said. Um, Jubileums, for some reason I don't have them on vinyl, never got around to buying them. I can't find... Had some on cassette. Cassette? Who the fuck had them on cassette? Uh, one and two are the only ones really are worth owning. Well, I mean, of course, three worth owning, I guess. Uh, rare and unreleased material mixed with classics. Um, I mean, it's arguably worth full marks. There's so much amazing stuff on it. It was the first time you got to hear 80s demos. You don't move me, I don't give a fuck. Um, crawl to your cross on the next one. There is um, burning leather. I mean, all sorts of great stuff. There is a vinyl. This is this vinyl came out recently, which has all of those songs on it, um, which is beautifully packaged, um, which is really worth picking up. That that's the one, the one that kind of conglomerates all of those stuff. That's really interesting. Um, you know, so it's got original satanic speed metal kind of demos, and you don't move me. You know, Satan, my master doesn't sound like it's an original one. I don't know what's going on there. Very often with Bathory, you can tell by his singing voice as to where he is in, in, in the lineage of... He, he, there's some stuff on Jubilee, and he's like, oh, this is an original from 83, and you're like, is it, though? Because it sounds like a drum machine, not proper drums, and your voice doesn't have that... It has a, something else going on, you know? However, again, mysteries that will probably unlikely be unraveled. So I don't own this. I don't own this on vinyl. This is Requiem. Um, 
this made me so disappointed at the time, I wanted to throw it in the fucking bin. Um, I hated it. To be honest, uh, I was so disappointed. Bathroom is my favorite band. This is 94. Um, I thought maybe even the shop, they'd put the wrong CD in the in the case. Certainly not true. Um, C grade, Death Thrash, Pock, 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 Drum Machine. Forgettable. I mean, maybe I need to revisit it. Some people, and apparently Corthon thought it was one of his best records, but I mean, you know, the pedant that he was, such, such pedantry, um just tr always trying to provoke and needle people in the press. It wouldn't surprise me if you just decided that just because it got some bad reviews. Uh, who knows? Um, but I maybe I need to return to it. I don't know. But um, it, the nascent death thrash, or let's say death and blackmail scene, had kind of left him behind. He once was the sort of forefather of it, and now... He was sort of had been um, left behind a little bit in the 80s. And I think that that sort of slightly hurt his ego, that people weren't really paying attention to Bath anymore. There was a whole new generation of enslaveds and immortals and mayhems and burzums and whatever else. And Bathory, Morbid Angel, whatever. Well, Bathory was kind of like a sidebar now. Oh, you know, the, the where are they now kind of band. Um, you know, what can you do? I would give it a five or six out of ten. The rest, if they all got full marks. Um, this, as you can tell, is where I started to buy things on CD. Um, and there's no point in me holding up CDs. I'll just discuss... Um, I'll just put a pictures of them. But needless to say... Should have found that before I started this. Octagon. This is, um, this is even worse than Requiem. This is... Um, in my opinion, a complete mess, beyond the pale, it's staggering fall from grace, lo-fi, lo barrel scraping, is that even a word? Death thrash, hard to tell, so awful, pine tree road, blah, blah, blah. Made me wonder who had maybe, um, it was just such a spectacular musical fall from grace, a three, four out of ten for me. Um, what can you, I don't know why you even, how to really calibrate those records. I remember reading somebody trying to convince me it was a good record, but no. It's not. Octagon is brutal. It sounds like it was just made in a weekend. A complete afterthought. And if you, I understand if Twilight of the Gods has burnt you out, um, then maybe you know you're just fried and you just want to get back to basics. But get back to basics. It was just such an awful record. Um, I have it. I own it somewhere. Where the fuck it is? I don't know. I probably should have prepared better for this, shouldn't I? Blood and Ice, Corton's joke Man of War record, and there ain't nothing else. There ain't no other way of calling it. It, it contains two or three of the greatest. Bathory songs ever, if you ask me. The Lake and the Wood Woman. Um, absolutely brilliant, those two. The rest of it is, is really good, but um, I, I think it was a butthurt reaction to the levelling the previous two albums got from the press, and Corthon appears to have unearthed, as I said, a whole album of sub man -o war B-sides he was making during the late 80s, adding Drum Machine, and at least the liner notes said so, but something about the tone of the Drum Machine and his spent-sounding voice spoke something different. His voice kind of begins to sound really on the edge sometimes here, and he doesn't seem to take the time to layer vocals the same way, although The Lake and The Wood Woman obviously are beautifully crafted songs. Um, it's an 8 out of 10. I don't view it in the same canon as the first few, but definitely it's a, it's a great record. Um, and the, maybe the last great record that he made. The last great record. Um, but... It owes its debt to Man of War, whether you like it or not. That's true. Destroyer Worlds, it, it, it's better than Octagon. 
Um, it's worth that 2.5. Uh, hopefully a little square appears here with it. Um, this is where I got so disgusted. This couple of years I got so disgusted with Bathory. Not disgusted because it did, I was so disappointed at what had happened that I couldn't even fathom the records compared to how much I love them in the 80s. Like I felt, oh, like, like most young metal fans, this was my band. And that they, this was like load and reload if you were an 80s Metallica fan, almost. Um, Destroy the World again throwaway production the opening song is just hell awaits and it's pretty cool and has some epic songwriting in it but the rest of the album is more or less a throwaway do we remember any song titles from it i mean look as i'm going to do more of these you'll probably find that most of um most of my opinions about 80s metal bands is they've nearly all lost their way in the um in the 90s and at some stage in the career a lot of them dovetailed back into it and that's kind of where um, that's kind of where Bathory, you know, um, did with Nordlands one and two. This is one. Um, all right, so I obviously went off to get something there. Seamless editing. Let's. I'll try and fix this in the edit. Um, yeah, I mean Jubalium one and two. Uh, or sorry, not Jubalium one and two. Nordland one or two. Um, he seems to have made these records as a reaction to people wanting him to go back to make epic metal, to making something more, to something bigger. Um, they're both pretty good, seven out of tens, I would say. There's some songs that are better than others. Um, they were to be the last good albums he ever made, really, and to this day are a strange and curious mix of songs. Some that sound half-sketched, poorly mixed, badly played. Something Sometimes they're really, like, they almost sound like the intonation on the guitar is out. Broken Sword, I don't know, like um, Forever Darkwoods is great, Ring of Gold, there's some brilliant songs on it, and Snatch of Genius, Forever Darkwoods, like I said, um, that really sent shivers down the spine and let you think he still has it in him. There's one great album between the two of them, um, and maybe that might have been where he might have returned to form somehow that we all wanted, and it kind of was, but alas, then um, he obviously died in June. 2004 from at home from heart failure there's a few other things I should mention um, going back which is obviously what I disappeared to go and get this is the box set in memory of Corthon it's fucking ugly as fuck it's really horribly put together the booklet repeats the same pictures backwards um, it's got some I mean you can't even see the songs on the back it's got pentagram just bleh, just bleh, throw it out whatever um, it's got some awful covers on it Black Sabbath Motorhead Kiss really bad things they're just sketches obviously just messing with the drum machine i mean the cover of war pigs is yeah well anyway it's nice to own i guess but the part of me that wanted to own everything um Corthon sort of destroyed that thing for me uh, with the requiems and octagons it's sort of um you know like finding out the earth the world wasn't flat or something i don't know like I don't know, what the fuck am I talking about? Um, I will say this, though. This Corthon album has one of the best songs he ever wrote on it, which is called Boy, which is brilliant, which should or could have been on... Um, I think it could have even been on Twilight of the Gods. It's the only good song on it, and you're going to be shocked when you hear No More Never Again when he says um, something about eating pussy. Never eat pussy again. And you're like, what the fuck? Shouldn't be too much of a surprise seeing as his big hair past but boy is worth it i don't know what the fuck this is this is um Corthon when our day is through uh, 
12 inch. I don't know what the fuck is going on here. I seem to remember at the time somebody saying to me here, have this, it sounds like Oasis. Um, I think it was a promo for the second album that never came out. Didn't make a very big impression for me again. Ugly artwork, no thought put into anything. Uh, you know. Like I said, the gear, the Corthon box, the box is garish. And to be honest, quite frankly insulting that something, you know, such a legacy should be housed in this sort of... It looks like Doom, the computer game Doom. Um, however, some years later, Corthon's father, who was the boss, um, who many of us had met at Vacan or bumped into at the Black Mark stall, seemed like a lovely dude. Um, his father died and he released his music and managed him. And with him, apparently, an archive of unreleased music has gone to the grave. Um, and who knows what genius uh, we might have missed. But at least we have a very big and such a big body of work. Um, Corthon, a genuine maverick, uh, a true original of the species. Flawed, of course, and every album in that classic canon, a reinvention, which is insane when you think of how the sound and tone and dynamics changes from album to album. This is almost unheard of. I can't think of a band who changed so much in the opening 10 year, let's say 83 to 93, but yet everything is, 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 you know, of top draw quality and full of that personality and character that defines 80s metal for me and indeed the early 90s. Um, you know, Corthon stands astride modern metal culture like a sort of colossus, um, you know, from the arguably the greatest black metal album of all time to the greatest pagan metal album of all time, Hamard, to the greatest epic metal album of all time, to the satanic speed metal beginnings, which are absolutely, of course, you know, energy pumping. Um, an original of the species, I doubt we will see the like of again, or if we can, the way things are now, the music industry and all that kind of thing. But, you know... Um, Here's a man who never played a gig, never played live, never went on tour, um, seemed to like the trappings somehow of being a rock star, dressed and behaved like a rock star when you see the videos of him walking around Stockholm. And he, he seemed to sort of like and dislike the attention at the same time. Why did he never play live? Hard to say, really. I have a feeling um, maybe he just had spent too long in the rut of not playing live and he hadn't done the you know, growing up, uh, treading the boards, doing all the small van tours that would have made him cope with, um, I suppose, the slings and arrows that get thrown at you on stage when you're learning. And so the first bathroom show was no doubt going to be something huge, and you could just imagine um, some huge technical mistake throwing him off forever, or did his voice go? Who were the backing band? Could he play and sing properly? I don't know, all of these things. I mean, could, could you really see Twilight of the Gods live on stage? No, I don't think so. So maybe the moment just passed. And sadly then, I think also for Corthon, his moment to be his moment of reinvention passed. If he'd come out and had a huge show at Vakken in 2004 and reintroduced the myth to a whole generation of younger people who didn't know that this was one of the progenitors of, the, of entire genres, um, he missed out on maybe his second wind as a rock star. And maybe then, in his late thirties, he could have reaped the rewards of his creativity in the twenty, of in his twenties, or into his forties, or whatever. Of course, he died in two thousand and four, so it's probably a moot point. But who knows? Maybe if coming out of his shell socially, because it seems like he spent a lot of time, just um, I think sort of maybe kind of lonely in his last years. Um, maybe that might have made him come out of a shell. Who knows? I'm just bullshitting now. Anyway, my friends, call from the grave. 
Number two is Bathory. Um, for me, the band that changed absolutely everything um, and the band that I hold nearest and dearest to my heart in the whole fucking world. Hail to you under the sign of the Black Mark and of Doom, my friends. Bathory. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.